0: Church. Way to make it to church today. You braved the elements and you got here. You are a hardy Minnesotan who's up for a challenge. I love that. Uh, I was here a couple hours early today and we had parking volunteers out shoveling sidewalks and driveways. If you see one of them today, would you just say thank you? They just do some incredible work uh, to serve us here at this church and at all of our campuses. Yeah, go ahead and clap right now. Speaking of which, I want to welcome those of you at all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities right now. It's great to have you with us as well. And if you're watching this online and you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, we received some snow here uh, this weekend. Maybe you are on the beach right now or you're in 80 degree temperature and we just want you to know that we hate you. Uh, (laughs) And I say that with all Christian brotherly love and affection, of course. Uh, We are in the third week of a series called What Keeps You Up at Night. So what is it for you? When it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and you're staring at the ceiling, and you just can't get to sleep, what is it that you're thinking about? What keeps you up at night? When I first started thinking about that question, my initial sort of serious answer was my son Jasper. Jasper is four years old, and he's almost always happy. He's one of those people. Big smile on his face, loves life. Fridays are my day off, and my other three kids are now in school, and so I've dubbed Fridays Daddy Jasper Day. And so I will wake up on Fridays, and Jasper will be outside my door, all dressed, ready to go, and he has the whole day planned out. Last week, it was a Nerf gun fight, baseball, and watching an old Western. He loves to watch old Westerns. But as much as I love Jasper, that kid keeps me up at night. It's because he doesn't sleep. Multiple times, it will be 10.30 at night, and my wife and I will hear this huge bang, the kind of bang that makes you think the ceiling's coming down on your head. It'll be Jasper up jumping off of his bed. 10.30 at night, didn't even know that he was still up. Or five minutes after we tuck him in, he'll come downstairs and he'll go, I can't sleep, I had a bad dream about a big monkey. And I'm sympathetic, I mean, that sounds terrifying, but I will explain to him that you actually have to fall asleep in order to have a dream. (laughs) Because Jasper is such a night owl, he's become legendary around our house for falling asleep in odd places. Here's a few pictures for you. This is Jasper falling asleep behind his door. I had to push his body to the side with the door to get into the room, he never woke up. Here he is sitting in his chair. Notice the Nerf gun by his side, no doubt on guard against that big monkey when he fell asleep. Here he is in our hallway. I think that's a vacuum cleaner attachment and so I'm guessing he was just cleaning and then ran out of gas at some point in the night. (laughs) Here he is with his head draped over our steps, here's the picture from down below, this is how we found him sleeping again, our vacuum cleaner's out, we apparently need to put that away more often. So if you ask me, what keeps you up at night, my answer would be, well, it's Jasper, and many of the parents who are here today would say something similar. You would say, it's my kids. They cry, they crawl into our bed in the middle of the night. Others of you would say, you know, my kids are what keeps me up, but not in that way. I lay awake at night wondering, what am I doing wrong as a parent? Ever thought that before? I mean, I certainly have. Before I had kids, I thought, I'm the potter and they're the clay. And I can kind of mold them and shape them into being whoever I want them to be. I have soon found out that's not how it works. My kids have a will of their own, it's a strong will. I think they get that from their mother. But I have had times where I lay awake at night and I'm going, what am I doing wrong? Why is my son so angry? Why isn't he wanting to talk about that issue? Why did he say, I'm gonna start cheering for the Packers? It's like I'm doing something wrong as a parent. Or or maybe you're the parent of a teenager and you lay awake at night wondering, where are they? And when are they going to come home? Or maybe your kids are all grown up, they've moved out of the house, but still you have sleepless nights. It's their financial situation, it's the poor choices that they've made, maybe they don't show any signs of faith in Christ, and you still find yourself having those sleepless nights. There's a lot for parents to be worried about. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I asked several parents, what keeps you up at night with your kids? What do you worry about with them? And the variety of answers will shock you. I mean, one woman kind of joked. She said, you know, it's always something. We go to the dentist's office, and the dentist says, you're not flossing their teeth enough. Your kids are going to get cavities and gum disease. So for two weeks, every time my kids open their mouth, it's like I'm in there trying to floss their teeth. Then we go to piano lessons. And the piano teacher says to me, you know, they're falling behind, they're not practicing enough. So then for the next week, it's like, practice your piano and floss your teeth while you're at it. (laughs) Then you go to your teacher's parent-teacher conference, and the teacher tells you that your kindergartner is an at-risk reader. They're five years old, but apparently there's a huge risk here. And so you're doing sight words and you're trying to help them learn how to read. The underlying fear in all of this is, I'm going to mess my kids up. I'm going to do something as a parent that is going to mess my kids up and affect them for the rest of their life. It keeps a lot of parents up at night. Health issues were another big one. If you've ever been pulled aside by a doctor and you've heard the words, I'm really concerned, or this is not good news, you will be up that night. A lot of parents that I talk to have sleepless nights because of a physical issue in one of their kids' lives. What about the world we live in today? We've got bullies, there's racism, violence, drugs, alcohol, pornography. I read a recent study that said that the average age that kids are now exposed to pornography is eight years old. Average age, eight years old. And so parents are starting to ask questions like, well, when should I allow my kid to have their own phone? What's the age that's appropriate for that? Or how should I monitor their internet access? Or what should I do about TV commercials? One of my Facebook friends posted this recently on his Facebook page. said, football commercials. Thank you, Cialis. My eight-year-old son just told me that the next time he goes to the doctor, he's going to ask if his heart is healthy enough for sex. (laughs) His dad told him, no, son. Your heart most certainly is not healthy enough for sex but you can't even watch TV these days without having your elementary student exposed to something that maybe you'd rather that they weren't. When my oldest son was in fourth grade, he had heard every four-letter word. He had heard all kinds of lewd sexual comments from other kids at school. The morality of our culture keeps a lot of parents up at night. Here's a final one for you. What about your kid's own behavior? I mean, What is wrong with them sometimes? They're mean to their siblings. They hit, they yell, they slam doors. If they're a teenager, maybe they're struggling in school or they're dealing with some sort of depression or they just don't talk to you anymore. Maybe they're all grown up and they're in a struggling financial situation or they're making some poor choices or her boyfriend just got out on parole. I'm nervous about this. What if they get married? What if she gets pregnant? So many things that parents can be worried about. In fact, some of you are going, you know, I came to church today feeling great about my kids, and now I'm terrified, right? So thank you for that. I actually do have some encouraging news for you. It's from Matthew chapter 6. And before I read these words of Jesus, I just want to acknowledge that Jesus isn't speaking directly to parents here. He's talking about money, and he's talking about being worried about having enough. But as I was preparing this message, this was the verse that I kept coming back to. Because I believe that there's an impactful teaching here for parents. And not just parents, but grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who's ever been worried about a family member, which would pretty much be all of us. Here's what he says in verse 34. Jesus says, So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. To which every parent or grandparent goes, Yeah, but... What if we don't have enough money to pay for the right college and they don't get into the school that we were hoping them to get into? And what if they don't floss their teeth enough and then they lose their teeth and then they can't get the right job that we wanted for them? And what if they get a peanut allergy? Because I ate gluten when I was pregnant and then all their friends who love peanut butter won't invite them to their peanut butter and jelly parties and they grow up just being left out. Have you thought about that, Jesus? And I don't know if you knew this or not but there's a lot to worry about when it comes to our kids. Here's my question. Don't you think Jesus knew that? That when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, do you think what he really meant to say was, don't worry about tomorrow unless we're talking about your kids, and then you should totally freak out about that. No, I don't think that's what he meant to say. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's because tomorrow has enough worry in itself. See, here's the deal. Your kids are going to have something bad happen to them in their life. I know you don't want to hear that, I know you don't want to think about that, but the reality is they're going to get hurt, they're going to get broken up with, they're going to get cut, they're going to fail, one day they're going to get an illness and they're going to die. It is the result of living in a fallen and sinful world. And your worry can't do anything about that. Which is why Jesus says in verse 27, he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they can't. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your kid's life, to your grandkids' life? No, all of your worries cannot add a single moment to their life. That's why author Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, worry is living out the future before it gets here. He's right. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. But if you're like me and you hear that, you part of you kind of goes, well, Now I'm worried that I'm worried too much about tomorrow. And you kind of wonder, how am I actually supposed to do that? I mean, it's one thing to say, don't worry about tomorrow. But how do you actually do that? I want to give you three choices. And I believe that if each of us will make these three choices today, you will worry about your future less. doesn't say that you'll never worry about your future. But you will worry about your future significantly less if you will make these three choices. The first choice that each of us are going to make today is this. We are going to choose faith over fear. There is so much to be afraid of when it comes to your kids. I mean, something physically could happen to them, something, they could have a mental disability, they could get in a car accident. I mean, there's so many things that you could be fearful about with your children. But today, we are going to choose faith over fear we are going to choose to say, God, I believe that you want the best for my kids' life, and I believe that if they will put faith in Christ first, everything else will fall into place. Because look at what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be given to you. In other words, if you put God first in your life, then everything else is going to fall into place. If your kids will put faith in Jesus Christ first, then you will have nothing to fear. But that doesn't just happen. It takes parents who are intentional to pass along their morals, values, and faith to their kids. How does that happen? It starts with you, the parents, by setting an example for your kids. See, here's the deal. Your kids are watching you. Behavior is more caught than it is taught. It is more seen than it is heard. Your kids are going to use the same language you use. Maybe not around you, but they're going to use it. Your kids are going to treat waitresses, teachers, police officers, people of other ethnicities, they're going to treat them the same way that you treat them. Your kids are even going to speak to you the same way that you speak to them. In his book, Grace-Based Parenting, author Timothy Kimmel says this, he says, the best way to ensure that our children will speak respectfully to us is to make sure that's how we speak to them. He writes, Parents are dreaming if they think they can bark and bite at their kids and then get anything less in return. He's right. Parents, what example are we setting for our kids? What example are we setting when it comes to our faith? Do you have a real faith in Jesus Christ yourself? And how would your kids know that if you did? One of the ways that our kids know that our faith is real and genuine is when we lead them to church. And I say that as an encouragement to each of you because the one thing we have in common today is that you all led your kids to church. And when you did that, here's what you communicated to your kids. You communicated to them, I care about your character. I care about your morals, your values, and your faith. In fact, I care more about who you are Then how well you perform in sports or in school. You said all of that to your kids, and you never even opened your mouth. You said it with your actions. But here's the deal. What about next weekend? Or what about the weekend after that when it's Christmas and you've got a whole bunch of things to get ready and prepare? What will you do then? Because not coming to church communicates something as well. Kind of reminds me of a flu shot. If you've ever been to the doctor before and you get a flu shot, what is the doctor doing? Well, he's giving you a little bit of the flu so that you will become immune to the rest. I'm worried that some of our kids are growing up with a flu shot faith. They've got a little bit of God in their life, but it's sort of drawn out by all of the sports and activities and TV and video games going on. They've got God in their life, but he's not the most important part. They've got a little bit of God, but they're sort of immune to the rest. Look at what Deuteronomy chapter six says about this. It's speaking to parents. It says, Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. In other words, parents, how committed to this are you? Are you committed to your faith? Because your kids are watching. He says, Then repeat them over and over again to who? To your children. It's not just once a week on Sunday, it's something that you repeat over and over again, and then he concludes this way. He says, talk about them when you're at home and when you are away on a trip. In other words, it's the day to day. It's in the car, it's after the game, that's where the parenting game is won. Last weekend, my wife Sarah and I had one of those days where we go, we're terrible parents. I mean, clearly we're doing something wrong, One of our sons was freaking out because he didn't want to dress up for his piano recital. I was asking him to wear a button-up shirt, and he was like, it's so claustrophobic, can't breathe with these buttons. And so for several reasons, we just kind of let him wear what he wanted to wear, and he showed up for his piano recital in a t-shirt and shorts and Under Armour camouflage tights underneath his shorts (laughs) to his piano recital. My other son lost in the finals of a basketball tournament on a very bad call by the referee that probably cost us the game. And so the whole way home, about half hour drive, I got to listen to him tell me about how we need to get robots for referees. Human beings make too many mistakes. We got to get some robots in there. That went on for about a half hour with a lot of tears mixed in. Then one of my other kids was just crabby and just yelling at everyone. And so when we got home, I told all the kids, I said, just go to your room. Let's just take a breather for a moment. And I sat down and began to read my Bible. I hadn't read the Bible all day, and I was sort of just desperate for God to say something and speak to my life. And I've been reading through the book of Genesis lately, and I was reading the story of Joseph. And maybe you remember that story, but Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of this colorful coat that their father had given to him. And then he gets accused of a crime that he never committed, and he gets put in jail as a result of that. His life was not fair. And so I called my son down, who was freaking out about the basketball tournament, and I said, life isn't always fair. Referees are going to make mistakes and bad calls. And then I read to him what Joseph said to his brothers. At the end of his life, Joseph reunites with his brothers and look at what he says to them. I mean, this is astounding. He says, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. You sold me into slavery. I got put in prison as a result. I've wasted years of my life. But I am telling you what you meant for evil, God has used for good. God has used it to grow my character and build up my strength and make me the man that I am today. I said to my son, I said, I'm training you to be a man. Do men whine and cry every time a referee misses a call? And he's watched enough NBA to where he goes, you bet they do. (laughs) LeBron James like whines all the time. I said, that's a bad example. Let me try another one. (laughs) I said, in 10 days, you won't remember this game, let alone 10 years from now but I said, in life, there are gonna be times when things are unfair. You might be 29 years old and your boss treats you unfairly. You're gonna whine and cry about that? Or are you gonna rise up and learn what you learned in fifth grade about how to trust God and realize that he's building up your character? I was so grateful for that verse, to be able to share that with my son. Parents, if you are not reading the Bible yourself, You are parenting with one hand tied behind your back. Authors Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinnaman have researched this. They've researched how do you pass along your morals, values, and faith to your children. They wrote a whole book about it. Look at their conclusion. They say this, families who hold the highest view of scripture seem to have the best rates of faith transference to their children. In other words, If you want to pass along your morals, values, and faith to your kids, how often are you reading the Bible to them? How often are you talking to them about what you've read in the Bible? You have to make a choice. You have to choose faith over fear. You have to choose that your kid's faith is going to be the number one important thing in your life. Second choice that each of us are going to make here today is this. We are going to choose prayer over worry. Let me show you a verse for the people who have a family member that they're kind of worried about right now. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. How many worries and cares can you give to God? It says you can give all of them. No matter what you came into church today worried about or anxious about. And some of you came in worried and anxious about some things. It says that you can give all of those to God. Another translation puts it this way. Cast all of your anxieties onto him, onto God. When you go fishing and you cast out a lure, what are you doing? You're throwing that out and the lure goes down below the water and you can't even see it anymore. In the same way, Peter says, you can do that with your anxiety. You can cast it out and you can give it to God. But I hear that and I go, I don't get it. I don't get how I take an anxiety or worry and throw that out to God. The simple answer is you pray. Some of us need to choose prayer over worry. You need to declare today, I am done worrying about my kids. I am going to start praying for my kids. I have a prayer journal that I keep that I write down things that I've been praying about in my life. And I have three things that I pray for for my children. First of all, I pray that their names would be written in what the Bible calls the book of life. I wanna know that my kids are gonna be in heaven. I want them to have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything more important than that. Second, I pray that they would have a personal ministry. I don't mean that they would be a pastor or a missionary. I mean that they would be active in their faith, that they would serve, that they would be generous and give, that they would love people and try to reach people for Christ. And then finally, I pray for their future spouse. You say, well, your oldest son is 11 years old. You're kind of jumping the gun. I want them to be married to someone who's gonna influence them towards God because your spouse is still the most influential person in your life, and so I pray for that. Parents, let me ask you. Do you pray for your kids, or do you just worry about them? What if you said this week, I'm gonna lower the worry bar, and I'm gonna raise up the prayer bar? That every time I find myself worrying about my kids or a family member, I'm going to use that as a cue to pray for them. One of my friends in college said that when she would wake up in the morning, as a high school student, she'd be getting ready for school, putting on her clothes, that kind of thing. She would come downstairs, and she would see her mom in the living room. And her mom would be down on her knees, praying for their family. She said, I can remember hearing my mom pray for me specifically by name. And pray for issues that I was facing in my life. She said, I'll never forget that. One of the great gifts that you can give to your kids is to pray for them. In fact, I want to encourage you to do this little exercise with me right now in your mind. I want you to think of each of your kids. And I want you to think of the one thing that worries you the most in their life. So for each kid individually, what's the one thing that worries you the most? If you don't have kids, just think about a family member in your life that you're worried about. Some of you say, you know what, I'm worried about their anger. They have an explosive temper, and I'm I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the friends that they're choosing. They, They hang out with the wrong crowd of people who influence them in the wrong direction, and they don't even see it. Some of you may say, you know what, my kids are growing up, and I'm worried that I've blown it. I don't have much of a relationship with them anymore, we're not that close, and I don't even know where to start. Some of you might say, you know what, I'm a single parent, I'm going through a divorce. We're a blended family, and I'm worried about how that's going to affect my children. Here's what I want you to hear today. God loves your son. God loves your daughter. And he wants to guide you as a parent. James chapter 1 says this. It says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, and I hope you do want to know that, he says this, ask him and he will gladly tell you. So many times as a parent, I don't know what to do. I don't know what consequence to give. I don't know what I'm supposed to say in that moment. But the Bible says that if you will ask God, He will gladly tell you. What if this week you took a step back and you said, God, what should I do? That one issue that's really worrying me in my kid's life, what should I do about that? Should I set up an appointment? Should I start taking them out to breakfast once a week to talk with them more often? Should I, should I start tucking them in at night and praying for them and trying to reach their heart? What, what do you want me to do, God? That is a prayer that God will answer. He might answer it through a book. He might answer it through a conversation. He might answer it through a thought in your head. But you have to make the choice today that says, I will choose prayer over worry. Here's the third choice that each of us are gonna make today. And this might be the most important. We are going to choose surrender over control. No need to raise any hands, but how many of us here today like to be in control? That's why they call it the remote control. Because when you have that remote, you feel like I'm in control. It's why some of you insist. You insist on vacuuming the living room because you want those lines to be just perfect, don't you? If you do that, by the way, You're psycho, you are psycho. Now mowing the lawn, that's totally different. Those lines have to be perfect, I'm telling you. You're not weird if you're you're obsessive about that. Now, as you can see, I like to be in control and you like to be in control as well. But here's the problem with that. Guess who else likes to be in control? Your kids love to be in control. And when they wanna be in control and you wanna be in control, that leads to conflict, which leads to worry and stress. In fact, oftentimes the more you try to control in your kid's life, the more afraid you are gonna become of losing control. I was reading an article in the Huffington Post recently and it said that 8% of recent college graduates bring a parent with them to their first job interview. 8% of recent college graduates bring a parent with them to their first job interview. Here's a little tip for you. If you ever apply for a job at Eagle Brook Church, leave mom in the car, okay? She drove you there, that's fine, I don't care, but leave her in the car. Now what's happening here? Well, from the outside looking in, it looks like a parent has been trying to control everything in their kid's life. And now they don't know how to let go of control. But look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't try to control your kids with all of your heart and strength. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Parents, your kids do not belong to you. Let me say that again. Your kids do not belong to you. God has given them to you for a period of time here on earth for you to raise them, and he's entrusted them to you. But ultimately, your kids belong to God. And it would be so freeing for some of you this week to have a moment where you get before God and you just say, God, I can't control every decision they make. I can't protect them from every pain or hurt that they're going to experience. But God, I believe that my kids belong to you. And so I surrender control to you. When my son Hudson was two years old, he had a seizure. My wife Sarah was home at the time, and his eyes rolled into the back of his head. He started making crazy noises, and all of a sudden, just like that, he was out. And so my wife called 911, and the ambulance came to our house. They rushed him to the ER, and he had to spend several hours there. Turns out that he had what was called a feveral seizure, where you have a fever that spikes up so quickly it sends you into a seizure. Then the very next day, Hudson somehow cracked open the ibuprofen that we were giving him for his fever, and he drank the bottle. Overdosed on ibuprofen, had to take him back to the doctor's office again. All of this really scarred my wife. And for several weeks, she was just afraid that something bad was going to happen to one of our kids. She wasn't sleeping well at night. She didn't want to eat as much there was just an anxiety and a panic that something bad is going to happen to one of our kids. And then one day she took a walk and she went outside. It was this beautiful summer day with trees and a picture-perfect blue sky and she started to pray and she prayed this prayer. God, if you can make all of this, then you can hold my kids in the palm of your hand. And God, if you are good enough to send your son Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, well, then you are good enough to do what's right for my family, even when it doesn't feel right to me at the time. And so she prayed, God, I give you my fear and I give you my anxiety. And I don't know that it always happens this quickly, but from that time forward, my wife has not been overly fearful, afraid about our kids. What if this week you took a walk or you spent some time just praying before you went to bed, and you said, God, I can't control every decision that my kids make. I can't protect them from every pain in life. They're gonna get hurt. Something bad is going to happen to them at some point. But God, I believe that if you are big enough to make all of this, then you are big enough to hold my kids in the palm of your hand. And God, if you are good enough to send your son Jesus Christ to this earth to die for my sins so that I could have eternal life one day, then you are good enough to do what's right for my kids even when it doesn't feel right to me. God, I surrender control to you. In fact, let's do that right now as a church. You can remain seated, but I just want to pray over you. And I want to pray for every single kid, grandkid, or family member who's represented in this church. And I want to invite you to think about that kid in your life or that family member. And to think about that one area that you are worried about for them. I want you to think about it in your mind as we pray. Because today, we are going to choose faith over fear. So many things that you could be afraid of for your kids. But today you say, you know what? I'm choosing faith. I'm choosing the faith to believe that God is good and that He will watch out for my kids and He will do what is right. Today I'm going to choose prayer over worry. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to lift each of my kids up in prayer. I'm going to choose prayer over worry. And we're going to say, you know what? I choose surrender over control. I can't control everything in my kid's life, but God, right now I surrender to you. Jesus Christ, I pray for every son or daughter represented in this room. God, we remember the day when the doctor handed us that little baby and the love that we felt That was our son. That was our daughter. And God, we love them so much that we tend to worry about them. We tend to worry about who they become and what they're doing. God, right now in this moment, may we be able to give our worry to you. May you take it from us, God, because you love us and care about us. God, I pray for those family members who don't seem to show an interest in you and don't seem to have a faith in you and and we worry about that, God. Rightfully so, we, we worry about that. God, I pray that they would come to know you in a very real and genuine way in their own life. God, I pray that we can declare right now that they belong to you And that, God, if you can make this whole world, then you can hold them in the palm of your hand. And so whatever that fear or that anxiety is for our kids or for our grandkids or for our family members, God, right now we we surrender that to you. God, we love you. We thank you that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. We know what our future is in Christ. God, we praise you for that in this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.